Hey everybody, welcome to the Human Source Codex, the podcast where we delve deep into the mysteries of life and reveal the hidden wisdom that lies within us all. Join me, I'm your host, Kelly Ray, as we explore the most controversial topics and uncover the truths that lie in the heart of our existence. From ancient spiritual practices to cutting-edge scientific discovery, we leave no stone unturned. In our quest to expand our minds and open our hearts to the infinite possibilities that surround us, So sit back and relax, get ready to unlock the secrets of the Human Source Codex. So today I have a wonderful guest, Jenny Mutu from She Leadership. Thank you for joining me, Jenny. Thank you, Kelly. It's awesome to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. We can't wait to dive on into this pod. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Sure. So I'll start with my business. I started a business called uh, She Leadership fairly recently. And um, what that is, is a business designed around helping women in transition. And essentially, we're looking at two groups of women. So young adults, sort of 18 to 25, who are going through that transition to adulting and supporting them to make really good decisions about their life, but also about building blueprints and frameworks for how they deal with different areas of their life. So a lot of feedback that I get from women in this age group is that, I mean, they're they're obviously young, they're ambitious, um, but they're trying to figure out how do they do the juggle and how do they achieve their goals, but still have this balance. Um, so we look at all areas of life, everything from relationships to finance, to career, to hobbies uh, and potentially entrepreneurship to support them to develop a framework that they're going to be successful in and to help them make decisions about how they move forward. And then the second group is the women sort of 40 plus who've had a bit of experience in life and maybe things aren't quite where they wanted it to be. They're potentially coming out of divorce or they're experiencing um, empty nesting and trying to figure out what do I do with the rest of my life? Who am I? And they're in that sort of reset, what I call a reset phase, where they get to do their life all over again. And this time the focus is on them and um, they're paving a path forward. So a lot of that got started out of my own journey, quite naturally. Um, Being young and 23, I held my daughter in my arms for the very first time in my life and looked down at this young baby and thought, wow, if I, I just got this message, like that just sort of came through and it, it was this Bible passage that the sins of the father get passed to the son, you know? And it was kind of like in that instant, I knew that if I didn't deal with all the stuff that I'd been through, um, the trauma, the baggage, what have you, I was just going to end up passing that on to this child. Um, so that's how the journey started. In that moment, I made a decision that I was going to be the best version of myself possible. And I have to say that in that particular point in time, I had no idea what that would entail <laughs> or what it would require or ask of me. Um, I just knew that if I did that, then she was going to go further faster. And that and that's really where the commitment sort of started, and what's where it's progressed is now um, in this business. That's very inspiring to actually hear. As a human behaviorist, like I work with a lot of uh, 
younger females too as well. And it's, um, I love that you have set an intention to be able to go forth and assist them into, you know, their, their transformation from that age. Because I guess like we know as, as um, middle-aged women that there's some things that actually restricted us from actually moving forward when we were in, at that age as well. So um, what, is, what, is, what do you perceive the greatest block is for like a, you know, a 23 to 25-year-old female who's stepping into that which they would really love to be and do? I, I think um, I call it blueprints and, and I do that for a reason. They have a certain experience of life um, and depending on their home life will, and their parents' experience and um, perhaps even levels of adventure, you know, in terms of getting out of comfort zones and um, personal development and things like that, they they will have a framework that's that's a reflection of that, right? So their conditioning, all of that. And they might have ambitions or goals that are outside um, what that conditioning and what that um, life has offered them so far. So it's, a, it's just sent essentially about building a bridge between where they are and where they want to be, which is it's classic, you know, coaching model. Um, mm-hmm. But what I understand is that often the blocks are is, you know, there's the self-doubt and the um, negative self-talk that comes in from an internal perspective, but from an external perspective, they don't necessarily have a framework. You know, what are the steps I actually need to take here? Yeah. You know, and and I think that that can be quite a block for them. That's, it it is really interesting. Like I was just reflecting back on my life around that age and um, what, what was in the way of me being able to achieve that which I perceived, you know, and I could say with confidence that it was external projections of, you know, injected authorities that were telling me that I needed to be and do something. And that was, you know, get married, get the white picket fence, have the 2.5 children and conform to the societal belief system. And inside of me was just this rebel that was, no, no, that no fucking way am I doing that is, you know, and then coming up against all of the external projections and trying to, which I had no idea back then at that stage, mm-hmm. um, but there was this innate, innate component within me that kept raising its head, you know, uh, about staying in my lane of being authentic to who I was. And if I look back, you know, the age of 15, one of my teachers actually told me that I would never amount to much because I wouldn't listen to what people were trying to tell me to be and do. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I'm grateful for whatever that was inside of me to be able to listen to my soul's calling and and navigate through that. But I do share your your um love of actually assisting people that don't really have the opportunity to step into that because they a, don't have an understanding that that's available to them and we talk about blueprint uh in my languaging we talk we call axiology which is the study of um, values and worth and so really defining that value and worth of a young young individual at an early stage sets them up for the most 
highest possible, um, you know, to live their best life relative to what they are in their highest values, your words, blueprint, if, you know, I just want to share that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I find it fascinating. I've just, you know, in terms of talking to women at different ages, um, I feel just at a gut level, you know, that there are women in our generation who are probably more rebellious than previous generations of women were. And, um, I, you know, I sort of made this discovery sort of back in, March of this year, I was which not that long ago. Um, but I, I just happened to be talking to these women and, and really hearing that, particularly if they've um they've had an unconventional life, like there's two things that come from that. One, that there was some decision in them at some point that they were going to do that, they were going to have this unconventional life. Um, and two, just how much they've they have rebelled against uh, what's been imposed upon them, you know, and the story and the narrative of what it meant to be a woman coming out of that particular generation, mm-hmm. you know. So it's quite refreshing to see because um, I think the onflow effects of that are children who who are starting at a different point, you know, in terms of what they want and they're pursuing things with a lot less baggage, I think. Yeah, so they're, they're I guess, um, well, I am one of those rebellious women that is uh, unconforming to traditional uh, modalities, methodologies, anything that you could say conforming to societal expectations. And uh, I've noticed that anybody that is either come into my tutelage as a teacher or as a student uh, have have given themselves permission to to be that authenticity and they are they're more resilient and they're more entrepreneurial like within their their dna or their makeup now and they're able to actually uh also i could say with confidence their well-being is at a higher standard too so it does it does have a an effect through over multiple different areas of life when you can really get clear on what your blueprint is and you stay in that lane. Mm, yeah. yeah. And um you know so going back to your point then you can see that for some of these women and for a lot of people actually not just women but they don't necessarily have a clear view of who they are. You know and um they can't see themselves clearly so that's part of the education process I think yeah exactly and the the blinders or the blinkers are on not through um you know probably wanting it to be that way and I find that we still come across uh women that don't even know so (laughs) early on in my life I used to uh, work with a lot of horses and and um, one of my greatest mentors was Ray Hunt one of the greatest horsemanship clinicians in the world he used to use this um, metaphor you know he used to say to us you're all doing okay because you don't know any different so at that state or point in time because you you don't have the knowing or the knowledge or the understanding that's okay but it's uh, having the awareness to actually step into 
that there is a, a full gamut of information or knowledge or wisdom that's out there for uh, everybody to actually obtain and to utilize, then that's where we see people actually step into or step away from, from you know, transformation, as I call it, or evolutionary growth relative to their blueprint or their axiology. Mm. And so what um, I'm curious around what kind of steps you take to help people, because, you know, I talk about it in terms of helping people see themselves more clearly. Mm. And I'm, I'm curious about like how you facilitate or, you know, the kinds of things that you do to help people do that for themselves. Well, at, at the, what we do is that we have a 32, uh, 32 questions mm-hmm. that go deep into a, the psyche of the human. And it pulls out uh, the deep axiology of each individual. And the questions are actually designed uh, to for the human not to subordinate or take injected uh, belief systems into that. Yeah. And, and then what it does, it actually surfaces a pattern and then we have each person actually pull that pattern themselves. Like we facilitate it. We don't actually coach it. So we allow each individual to actually determine through patternicity. So it's based off universal constructs that uh, they it arises for them. And then it's a soul knowing. It's almost like an intuitive gnosis, I call it. There is a that they feel it within their whole system that that's what they're here to be. So we could say at a deeper layer that's epistemological and the ontological component, like the two parts together. So each individual is then having that, yes, deep understanding that that's what I'm here to be and do. So I, without a doubt, without with the utmost certainty, I'm here to teach and I'm here to teach all aspects of human behaviour and all aspects of um our consciousness mm-hmm. and if I go back to when I was 15 and, the, and my English teacher told me that I wouldn't amount to much because you know I wouldn't listen in that moment I was actually asking him questions and challenging him relative to the information that he was teaching so I was teaching then and I had no awareness of that until that was actually brought into my you know awareness that oh well it's been with me my whole life so yeah. so I honor that. Mm. So through that, through those 32 questions, we're able to determine each person's what I call authentic axiology. Yeah. yeah. So I'd love to, you know, there's a lot of these things that are actually out there for people to determine what we call values or uh, blueprints or um, human design, et cetera, et cetera. So as we're sharing, I'd love to hear the way that you actually get that to become apparent or profound to each individual that you might be working with um I will I will I want to share a little story though just before I go into that um so you know I've done a lot of personal development obviously that point of having my daughter was that first um decision to do that and had just started to do some personal development before she was born um and that set me off and I've been on this journey for 23 years now so um What's interesting about that is that uh, a couple of years ago, I met a psychologist based in WA who has um, used or 
she used her study to actually develop what she called the map of loss. And um, essentially, she the map of loss is a little um, postcard with some drawings on it where she can take you through the different emotions that you might experience after some kind of change. And change can be positive or negative. Um, and even positive change can have a negative impact on us sometimes. So if you use the example of a, a new mum who's having a baby for the first time, while that's a very positive experience, she also might go through some grief at her the loss of independence that comes with that, you know. Um, Anyway, Roz, Roz Snyder is her name, and she developed this map of loss and used a very interesting graphic to show you where you are on your emotional journey after change. And part of that um, map of loss is uh, the swamp of feelings. And the swamp of feelings have you know multiple levels, and at its lowest, it's people who are in sort of depression that doesn't shift at all. Um and, you know, you go through the forest of hope and you come back out and you're on the, the highway of possibility all over again. Just, But it's it's so simple and elegant that anybody at any level of literacy can really grasp where they are in the map of loss. Um, so I did her programs and they're absolutely amazing programs. They really are. And she introduced me to a way of dealing with trauma that doesn't require words in a lot of ways, you know, and it's it's processing trauma um, via different means other than words. And so from doing her courses and understanding her work, I then developed my own very simple kind of graphics that I use to help people go through this process. So a lot like what you said in, in the sense that I'm not imposing any kind of um theories or indoctrinations or any you know diagnosis upon them I'm just giving them a framework and then they insert themselves in the framework and they pull out um things about themselves in that process so they're able to see um the context of their life very clearly and they're able to pull out things like how significant events might have impacted them how um beliefs were made and formed, how decisions, you know, where decisions got made in certain moments. So I talked about holding my daughter for the first time and making that decision that stuck, you know, being able to pull those things out because by doing that and, and having a connection to it other than an intellectual or a, a mental connection, they can start to um, connect at a level that is not only spiritual, but emotional, um, and then in their physical body as well. So those elements of self, you know, your mental, physical, emotional, et cetera, they all come together. And by creating greater congruence in that, I feel they're able to make decisions that are a lot easier to let go. You know, it's not just, it's now these new levels of awareness that come into being that allow them to let go of things a lot more easily. Yeah. That's that's very cool, you know, and it it is um, the new levels of awareness is where we have the most maximum growth. Um, and and going back to, you know, those key points of cause and effect back through our timeline to that which holds so much meaning or reverence for us and their, their, our growth aspects, just like my teacher at 15, you know, like it's ingrained in my memory in that. 
Um, so I guess my next question is in that, um, do you, what is your perception about that we have the opportunity of free will or are we predestined? Are we, do we come into, come into this world with a destination or do we have the freedom to be able to choose? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> um, mm. uh, it's it's one that it's one that I you know contemplate regularly because it's it yeah like it's it's just one of those philosophical questions that just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So mm. yeah, we're talking about uh, direction for people, and yeah. we both mentioned that we 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 have these innate knowings. So my question in those moments is like, where does that come from, right? Is yeah. that ingrained into me? Did I was I born with it, or did it just happen today? Or yeah. Um, I've I've had some probably unusual experiences in my life that indicate for me that um, there I don't know how to explain this so it might be not in the most elegant <laughs> way but i believe that totally uh, authentic. <laughs> we come here with a mission and i don't necessarily feel like it's an emission that's been imposed upon us i think it's something that we we sign up for um and then we get here and we go through what we go through and um, I believe that we then have a choice as to whether we do those things or not. Like we fulfill that mission that we came here for. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I've had this conversation with other people who have very interesting gifts and have simply chosen not to pursue that life, you know, because it would have taken them down a certain route and, they preferred to have a much more, can I say, normal life of the nine to five job and, you know, fitting into society and things like that. So I yeah. think it's both. I think you are um, called to fulfill a mission on the planet, but I think that you have free will to be able to exercise or not um, that particular mission. Agreed. And I think that is a beautiful uh, connotation to, to bring into awareness for people is making a choice. And that's where you do have free will. And if, if you do have a calling, but yet you realize that, you know, maybe that's a little bit more challenging or difficult and you do choose to, to actually stay within and there's no judgment with that. It's absolutely uh, perfect as it is in nine to five, et cetera, is, um, having the awareness of not judging yourself for staying there and mm. giving yourself full permission to be able to experience that life without the regrets as such. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think and personally for me, like with having done so many courses and learnt from so many people, I got to a point in my life and, again, I would I can't tell you, I, I grew up in a Catholic household, went to church every Sunday kind of thing, didn't really work into religion as such. But it's amazing how many times I get fed Bible parables that I don't even know, <laughs> you know, or I'll come across them or things like that. And I happened to come across one um, quite a number of years ago now when I was in this 
process of like transitioning myself, coming out of something and, and moving into where I am now. And I came across this phrase and it is from the Bible. I think it's from the book of Thomas, but I'm not sure. And it said something like, if you do not bring forth what is, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, then what is within you will destroy you. Yeah. And for me, that was like, that was the sign. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't, no matter what it took, I was just going to have to find a way to move into what I'm doing now um, and and just figure it out because I couldn't not do it. Giving yourself full permission to be able to be that which you, your calling is. And when we first met, you shared a wonderful story about like transitioning and then taking a leap into the unknown. Well, I'd love for you to share that so that my listeners can can hear that. I think it's a great story. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, as I mentioned, I was in WA, you know, and um, part of the reason for my business coming together the way it has is because uh, I, you know, I'd sort of got out of a relationship that I'd been in that wasn't going in the direction that I wanted it to and and wasn't it wasn't designed for that so I spent a few years sort of milling around WA um, and then got to a point where I was able to leave so I I left a very well-paying job and um, bought myself a four-wheel drive and sort of headed for the desert effectively Um, and you know spent some time on the road and you know, I, I didn't share this on the day, but I my first, one of the sort of, not the first stop, but one of those magic moments was actually hitting Broome. And uh, a friend of mine had connected me with uh, some of his family up there. And, you know, so we went sort of fishing uh, and camping out on the beach and they were showing me how to, um, how to hunt on the reefs and things like that, you know. So it was such a magical time. And um, I left there with, I, I say this, that the car was just, um, as I was driving out of Broome, they, there was like stars and rainbows and all sorts of love hearts just flying out of the car behind me because having got there quite empty, I left with my heart really full, you know, um, and quite that. inspired. And so it went off to Kununurra, which is a small town of about 5,000 people at the top end of WA, around nine hours from the Darwin border. And never having been in the outback before, I was now spending a considerable amount of time there. And uh, it was so spectacular, like to be able to see the land, it's so different up there. And it's I highly recommend for anybody to spend time in the Kimberleys. It's just magical. Um, but I got to Kununurra and started uh it it quickly became apparent that my one week stay was actually going to be more like a month. Um, It ended up being two months. (laughs) um, And we had lockdowns and COVID was still sort of going around. Um, Yeah. And so I started asking around town because I I was reading Price Pritchard's book at the time and uh, it's called U Squared. And it's, it's a very short book, but it's an absolutely brilliant book. And in the book, you know, Price starts the book with this story about the fly. And um, he's in a in a cafe and he's watching this fly flying towards a window, hitting the window, hitting a windowsill, like shaking itself off, you know, <laughs> and just like. Um, and he's watching this fly do this on repeat, and he sort of makes this comment that no amount of trying harder is going to have this fly get through that window, you know, and that 
that is a context for how we live our life. You know, we're, sometimes we're, we're that fly flying at the window with no understanding of the paradigm of the window, and that's the thing that's holding us back. And so we just knuckle down or we force it through or we just got to get past this and um, we just keep hitting that window. And so over time we become a lot more tired and if you've ever seen flies on window seals that end up dead, you know that they're just, yeah, totally. <laughs> that was their fate. Um, anyway, and so he talks about like in this example of the fly, he says, you know, here's the thing that if the fly um, applied no more time, no more effort, no more energy or thinking or anything else, it just simply turned 180 degrees in the opposite direction it would find the freedom that it's looking for. You know, that is the elegant solution. And for me in that moment, like it's so clear that there's so many times we, you know, and you're, you know, you're talking about with Codex about people really tapping into who they are and working within their blueprint. Mm -hmm. There's so many times we fight ourselves mm -hmm. around the destiny or the, the pathway that we really need to be going down. But for yeah. fear or doubt or whatever other reasons, you know, fear of ridicule, um, we don't. And, and that's a battle that can go on internally for decades for people, you know, Absolutely. quite frankly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's, I love the Kimberleys and I spent a fair bit of time at them and I do highly recommend, as Jenny says, if you get the opportunity to go because it's like the last frontier country, even all around the world. It's magnificent. Mm. Just want to add that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm planning to go back and do more of it that I haven't done so far. But yeah. So, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm um, reading this book and it, I'm at a point in my life where it's no longer enough to just read stuff. I want to, I want to embody things. I want to experiment. You know, I, I used to teach at university and I was not a chalk and talk teacher because I knew that if I got people up and I got them interacting with the material in some way, that it would become part of their DNA. So they don't have to learn it anymore. It's just part of who they are. And that's, you know, that's my goal with anything and everything that I teach and that I learn as well as that it becomes part of who I am. So anyway, I, I got this harebrained idea that, you know what? Um, I need to do something while I'm in Kununurra because clearly I'm not here for a week. I'm now here for a month potentially. And um, I needed to do something with my time. Otherwise, I was going to go nuts. So I'm reading this book and I figure, you know, what, I'm going to do an experiment. Uh, I need a way to embody this material and to make it part of myself. So I started asking around town. I was I was single at the time and I was just trying to figure out where do, where do you go to meet people around here? And not necessarily for dating purposes, I, I should qualify, but just just curious, you know, what, what was actually going on in this town. So I find out pretty quickly, yep, there are uh, quite a few singles in town and no, there is absolutely nothing, you know, for them to do. And when I asked, where do you go to meet people? The standard response is the pub, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And the pub in outback towns is not necessarily like the pub. In oh, the no, definitely not. It's like a safari to go to a pub and have that experience up there in the Kimberleys. <laughs> Although I have to say, I walked into Chevron Tavern uh, a couple of weeks back uh, for a networking lunch and yes. saw a similar kind of feature that I'd <laughs> seen in Kanana. 
So I walked into this pub and was met with a sea of men in high-vis clothing, you know, <laughs> protective clothing. So um, anyway, well, I just walked the, right back out, right? Yeah, they have they have one of those over here on the sunny coast too at Yandino. If you go past there on a Friday afternoon, like it's the quintessential Aussie pub there. <laughs> Right. Yep. Yellow I'm and orange. So I got this, I got this harebrained idea. I do come up with crazy things um quite often, but uh in this particular case, I decided I was gonna run a speed dating event. And um and the experiment kind of know, right? And so the experiment was could I get someone to, um, could I run an event, first of all, because it's not something I'd ever done before. I've never run events before. And I'd only ever been to one speed dating event in my life, you know, and walked away from that completely exhausted. <laughs> and um, I'm thinking there's got to be a better way to do these things. Um, so anyway, that was the experiment. Could I Could I run an event in a town where nobody knew me, have people come along and pay to do so? Um, and that was, that was it. Like, let's see, it was pretty, pretty straightforward, very simple. Um, and, and so that was my plan is I was going to do that. High five sister on that one, stepping <laughs> into the unknown and also challenging yourself to that degree. And if anybody's been to the Kimberleys, you would understand that challenge completely. <laughs> so what happened at the event? Did you? Well, did you? Thankfully, I was somewhat naive. <laughs> uh, being a city girl, I had no idea how country towns work or anything of that dynamic at all. Um, and what what I knew is that it was going to require some level of marketing and it was going to require some amount of me sort of getting out and um, and doing things. So the first thing, I guess, I figured I had to meet people and I got a job at the local, at another of the local pubs there, just as a way to um, be in the community, right? Mm -hmm. So proximity is key to success. And so I figured I'm going to put myself in a position. It was the quickest interview I'd ever done, literally five minutes. I walked in, Kate took one look at me and she said, yep, you're hired. Can you start on? And I was back home. So the whole thing, round trip was 15 minutes, leaving my house, doing the interview, getting back home. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, um, that's amazing. Not like the interviews that we have down here. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the Kimberleys. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had somewhere to work and, um, you know, start talking to people, meeting people. And then I created a, a Facebook account. I think it was uh, social singles or something like that, single socials in the outback, something of that nature, and joined a few community sites within the region as well. And then just started posting a little bit about myself and um, that meant putting my face on social media. And um, that was, I have to say, all of this was completely out of my comfort zone. I'm quite shy, quite reserved, very good at hiding out. And so this was not comfortable at all. If I can ask, like, just as a segue into this, um, what, what helped you to actually, you know, step through that? discomfort and to step into really like doing those things that you've never done before and you know that were extremely uncomfortable for you all right there were a couple of things so firstly I had had these goals 
to run my own business for a long time. And I had on and off, like as a side kind of thing, but I'd never stepped into it or um, created it in the vision that I had for it. And I have to say, I got to a point in my life where I was just sick and tired of being the used car salesman to myself, you know, like because I'm an ideas person. So I'd come up with these ideas and then um, I would, you know, sort of talk to people about them. And I would get some excitement from people. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea, you know. And then I'd go back to my desk and the self-doubt would creep in. And I didn't know that this was happening. And then the confusion would set in. And then I would convince myself that I didn't know what I was doing or that I wasn't qualified to do what I was doing. And then eventually um, I would let go of the idea. It wouldn't come to fruition. And then I would become frustrated and then time would pass. And then I would have another idea, a new idea. <laughs> and I would go yeah, through the so, same process all to over circum- again. circumvent that the the old idea, but also to rescue you from the the um the neurochemicals that were in the house, right? So to be able to offset that, oh, just know how to actually get that addiction sorted would just create another idea yeah very yeah yeah and and I got to see that that was my pattern that's what I had done so hence I had become the used car salesman to myself selling myself on these ideas and then (laughs) ending up with a dud because nothing would ever eventuate right so I was on the hook for myself like you got to do this and Um, you've got to see it through no matter what. And the reason why I chose a speed dating event, because that's not necessarily my strength. That's not my forte. It was a complete um, playground for me. Like, let's just have fun. If nobody ends up showing up to this, you know, it's not a big deal because heck, I'm not an event planner, you know, like I didn't have that much invested in that point. I was invested from the perspective of Could I get an idea, see it through to the end, no matter what, and not stop until I got to that finish line? That was just my goal. That's beautiful self-awareness and self-actualization to actually hold yourself accountable and responsible to yourself. Yeah, but I I want to take full credit for that, Kelly, because (laughs) in the background, I did have um, a couple of people who were supporting me, but also kind of like, you know, maybe maybe she's going to fail at this, right? Like, you know, and kind of watching me from that yeah. perspective. And um, and I didn't want to fail. Like, I just didn't want to let myself off the hook like that, you know, and, and I was extremely uncomfortable. Like, again, small town, I live five minutes from, everybody lives five minutes from the local, you know, Coles. And um. I'm putting my face on social media and it's the main platform for that community. So I have this feeling like I'm walking through the, through the shops and everybody knows who I am and they're all talking about me or looking at me and I have no idea who everyone so is. You, you, you know? created yourself a celebrity status. In that <laughs> without, without meaning to, but you know. Yeah, I love it. Um, because- now you have a reference to, you know, what Angelina Jolie might feel like when she's walking through Hollywood, you know. So. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So anyway, so that they were my motivations, me not letting myself off the hook and people around me who were supporting me um, mm-hmm. and helping me. 
but mm-hmm. also maybe a little bit, you know, watching to see how this was going to go down, you know? Yeah, perfect. So we, we come to the awareness that we are our own worst critic, right? And um, then we get the reflective, reflective component on the outside of the external critics, which is just a hologram to that which is inside of us. So I loved it when I get those external critics on the outside, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, great. You know, I, I will check into the internal critic and then hold myself accountable. In my work, we use the adage of like maximum growth occurs at the border of support and challenge, like they're mm. integrated together. Yeah. And no, nobody can grow without having an element of challenge. If we become too comfortable, we become fat and lazy. But if we, we're over-challenged, we actually create too much stress. So it's having that awareness that um, we, we need both. And we often have these voices internally. And if we check in, we will start to actually have a realisation that there's two voices. And I'm not saying that you're schizophrenic. Everyone has this. Is that we have the internal critic and the internal supporter. And just inside of that, we bring that to awareness and we allow ourselves to to listen to those particular things. But yet, as long as we hold ourselves accountable to, and I love you mentioned before, I always had a mission to create my own business. So that is the vision and the mission or what I call teleology or the telos. That is the purpose and meaning behind everybody. And when we stay in alignment and connected to that, uh, we start to see the service of the internal criticism that we, we give to ourselves and the external criticism as well. And if we can only uh, have the realisation that we cannot separate those two components within ourselves, they're there to serve us, to actually have us grow in the direction of our purpose and our vision and our mission. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that Kananara gave you the opportunity inside of a pub and speed dating for you to step into where you are now, you know, like the transformation of that is just, you know, exponential to me. It's inspiring to actually hear. Um, and, and now how it's actually come full circle or not full circle, but I would say evolved into assisting females, like the, the age groups that you mentioned to be able to transform their lives. I think mm. that's that's wonderful. So um, I was I was also to have the wisdom of that which you had to go and have the experience. And I love that that you also said um, I love to embody an experience, and that's where we get the true wisdom of of gnosis because we can't just have the theory component. We have to have the the uh, the experiential aspect and put the two things together. And therefore, we have gnosis or, or direct knowing that that's where our intuition comes online and we just know that we're on the path. Um, so that is also important inside of the vision and mission of each individual on this planet. And it, it, to me, it's fascinating, you know, like the, the direction that we end up and the, the segues that we, we end up experiencing to redirect us back to uh you know, we could say, I like to call it the direct ray or the our direct lane of where we're, where we're meant to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And do you see that um, with the women, say like at 40 plus, that are entering into, I'm going to use the word, midlife crisis? Uh, Midlife liberation is what I like to call it. Yeah, exactly. Midlife evolution. Or it's the the second part of their life coming into I was never taught that at school. Like my parents never mentioned that uh, about the, the the second tier to our life. It generally mm. starts at the age of 40. And when we complete a cycle, then we come into the next void. And, you know, I had that experience myself. And so that was extremely challenging. Uh, so with, with this experience that you've gone through and it directed you from the Kimberleys to the Gold Coast and now to be able to assist women, what, what are some of the commonalities that you're actually seeing with the women that you're working that they have had a segue, redirect, I call it, in their lives? Hmm. What, are, what are some common you know, like some common, are they, are they extreme in, in certain aspects? You know, generally like divorce happens around that time and uh, the some of my experiences have been that generally the 40-year-old that goes through divorce, the kids have left home and then they pick up a younger guy They become, you know, so they go and have that magnificent experience, you know, with, with their sexuality and feeling, you know, vibrant, expression full again. And then they transition into where they're generally destined to be. And and that um, would probably be the ideal scenario, right? Like <laughs> yeah. I, I wish more women did that. And, and, you know, between you and I and your listeners, I do encourage women who have gone through that, particularly if they are, you know, in that sort of 40 plus age bracket, to, to go off and have those experiences with the younger men, because I think it's part of, it's almost part of an initiation to, you know, to start that new phase of life and to go through, like you're starting with a clean slate, basically. Why would you want elements of the past on your clean slate? You know, Mm -hmm. it's much better to create new experiences for yourself and to see what's possible for you. You know, like a big, um, a big driving component behind my decision to run a speed dating event in Kununara was because my daughter hitting 18 and starting to find her own way in life led me to ask one question, which was, okay, I'd spent, you know, all of her life uh, with a mission to be the best version of myself that I could be, which meant putting myself in courses and doing things that I never thought I would do. And then she got to 18 and it was like, great. So we're now at a new phase, like there's this new pathway that's now emerging, which is about me and my life and what do I want to do? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had not seen me at my fullest potential. Like I didn't even know what that could look like. And, And I thought to myself, well, if I'm asking myself to be the best version of me and that I haven't yet discovered what that is, what am I truly capable of? Like, who is this Jenny Mutu? Like, what could she actually do in this lifetime? And that's mm-hmm. what I, and that's what the me between now and the end of my life is about. Like, I want to find out what, what am I truly capable of, you know? Give so when some- we talk about the women, um, that's what I'm seeking to inspire in them. And, and often, 
I mean, you know, in different circles, people talk about permission and it's about giving them permission or them giving themselves permission. But I think it's also about courage, you know, like it it takes courage to say, um, I'm going to throw off these um, conforms that I've had to, you know, um, subjugate to about what it means to be a woman or what it means to be in my culture or whatever. And I'm I'm going to start with a clean slate of of this picture of who I am and what I want for myself and my life without having to apologize for who I am in the world, you know. Um, giving giving yourself permission to be on mission, rather than yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, and it's you know I had the experience myself like. Um, my husband was killed in a car crash back in 2018 and I had a clean slate you know during that there was a lot of other components to it but I sat in a very similar way of uh, contemplation and asking these deep profound questions about the next chapter in my life and against all you know, all of my family, all of my friends, there was this innate innate component within me that was like go and experience the world with yourself. Mm. And, you know, inside of that there was a lot of fear, there was attachment to be able to, um, to actually integrate and to then transform from that. So I packed with two suitcases and moved to Mexico, right? Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, so inside of that, I didn't speak Spanish and it's a third world country. So, you know, some people said to me, batshit crazy, you know, like you're putting these exponential challenges in front of you. But as like with you, it was like, well, if I don't, then what am I here to be and do if not to actually challenge myself to step into the highest form of experiencing all aspects of human behavior and mm. being a human behaviorist it was like well okay if if I can go to that degree then I have the gnosis to be able to assist and help others through or with these uh, questions that they're asking so yes. it's it's such an experience and and enduring that the biggest thing to overcome was the projection of others and then that that question within myself which was pertaining to fear of you know who am I to do this Mm. that was my deepest question that kept coming up like who am I to do this and and then I just kept coming back to my vision my mission and that giving myself permission to do it and who am I to be and do this well you're a woman on a mission so give yourself permission rather than being <laughs> in emission and make yeah. the decision to actually <laughs> step into that. <laughs> so that's, that's great. And I think, well, I wonder, I guess, um, particularly for women who have gone through motherhood and have, uh, in a sense, you know, given up themselves for their family, you know, and everybody else has come first and um, there's that level of, you know, servitude involved, which is a very honourable place to be, but not when it carries on and it just takes over your life to the point where it's not your life anymore, you know. And so I can really hear 
in essence, a reclaiming Mm. of, hey, this is my life. Now I get to determine how it's going to be. And I'm going to give myself the opportunity to enjoy it and to explore and to have experiences that are really kind of freaking awesome and out there. And it's about testing your resourcefulness. Like you put yourself in Mexico, a country that's so far from home, and it's about trusting yourself that no matter what happens, you can figure it out. You have the capability, you have the resources, you can ask for help. Like what's the worst that could happen, honestly, you know? And that is the the number one question. What is the worst that could happen? Well, in Mexico, you can end your life quite quickly. (laughs) It's done, done, you know, like, oh, okay. But in, in in the absence of, you know, sticking to avoiding fear, I actually found myself stepping into that. Mm. And like we mentioned before, that little voice, that critical voice is challenging us not to go there. And when we can be present with that, and I just simply would ask the question, you know, like, is this life threatening to me? And, um, you know, if the answer was generally sometimes yes, it was, then it was Mm. like, what's my fear trying to tell me? And I have a, one of my things that I don't have enough data. So it was asking questions mm-hmm. and then bringing enough data in there to make an objective decision to step into that. So yeah. knowing how to circumvent fear in that moment is mm. also as well. But my, I had some amazing, amazing and terrifying experiences. Yeah. Ones, you know, I would go back there in a heartbeat tomorrow and yeah and live that way again and again and again. So not to deny anybody to have those experiences. Mm. But do, do, I, do you find that um, these women that are transitioning from, you know, the, the first chapter of their being into the second chapter, they are full of fear and or they don't know how to give themselves permission to make that that transition or that jump? I think it's probably um, different for different women, but I think it's probably a combination of both. I don't know about you. Um, I'd be curious to to understand, like, but for myself, like I went from being quite a fearless young woman and um, could actually feel that process of becoming more fearful as it was happening Um and as I gave up more of my independence in, in a relationship, in a, in a long-term relationship, you know, I could feel that almost surrender of my myself that was happening in this process and the fear that was taking over um, that coincided with that, you know. And to come out of that relationship and to rebuild, a lot of that was about putting that fear and dealing with that fear that had been sort of almost suffocating me for for the entire yeah. length of that relationship, you know. And do you remember what the catalyst was for you that actually had you actually step out? What was the step final? out of the relationship? Yeah, or that that you know that catalyst that had you like I'm done, I'm out. Look, uh, for me, I just the relationship wasn't fulfilling, and um, I looked around one day and just kind of assessed, okay, what what's actually going on here. And um, 
if this person never changed, would I be willing to get married to them? Knowing that it is as it is and it's not going to change, like nothing's going to change here. Am I happy with this quality of life, with this level of living? Uh, and am I okay with that? Now, mm-hmm. I have to premise by saying that, you know, we were comfortable. Um, we both worked. So we had, you know, a good income in the house. We went on overseas holidays once a year. Um, it's a quality of life many people would have been happy with. But spiritually, it wasn't fulfilling for me, you know. And when I looked around and this little voice and this conversation that's going on with my head was like, oh, well, you go on overseas holidays once a year. I'm like, yep, could do that for myself. And you have a house. Yep, I could do that for myself too. Right, Miley, Miley Cyrus's song that's I can buy myself flowers. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, it was there was a level of relationship that I was looking for that wasn't being fulfilled. And everything else, you know, all the superficial materialistic sort of stuff that was there was it's not important to me, you know, it's it's not my driving nature. So um, that was the catalyst was to realize that if this person never changed, that wasn't the quality of relationship that I wanted and everything that was being provided or that we were co-providing was not was not where it was at for me. So I took a risk, you know, and walked away from something that most people would probably hang in yeah, and stay with. Well, I think that's courage in itself is, and as we take risks you know there is obviously challenges that actually go with that but that is the bravery of actually stepping forward into that and holding yourself accountable and responsible to your own sense of well-being as well so thank you for sharing that yeah you're welcome um in the in the essence of that you know like the catalyst for me, I realized that when Heath actually was killed in the car crash is I had this innate fear of the loss of that relationship and Mm -hmm. the innate fear of the loss of, you know, all the attachments that were associated with it. And, and so we, and I have an understanding of like what you actually fear you attract. So that really gave me an insight into that what we're actually putting out into the universe we actually bring in for our experience to actually understand and know and love the contrast to it right so in and I I it that at that time I couldn't see it but now like I see the blessings in that experience and how it's actually assisted me to actually transform my life and in the immediate you know eight months after his death being able to uh, you know, have some beautiful mentors and teachers that I've worked with for many years uh, bring this into my awareness and assist me through the grief period to, to transform and to transition into that which, you know, is my divine design or my divine mission, giving myself permission to actually do that at all scales of existence. So I also saw that that relationship and the attachments to it were constraining me mm. to being able to evolve into the, you know, where I am today, like doing what I'm doing, teaching around the world. Yeah. So there's blessing in, blessings in everything that actually occurs. It's just being able to observe and have the awareness and ask the, the profound questions to awaken that awareness within ourselves. And so 
I love the work that you're doing and being able to assist um, females around the world to be able to evolve and transform their lives, whether it be, you know, 22-year-olds that are stepping into the beginning of, you know, we could say careers or the 40 to 45-year-olds that are actually going into the second phase of their, their life. So thank you so thank much you. for joining me on the on my podcast. It was wonderful to have you here. It was great to be here. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. No worries. So Jenny, if you just want to share how people can actually find you, like um, we will put the links in the show notes to you, but if you can just share a little bit about She Leadership, uh, where you're based and how people can actually get in contact with you, if they'd love to be able to, if you're a 22-year-old 20, uh, young lady looking to grow your own life or a 40-year-old woman who is wanting some assistance with transitioning into the next phase of their life too. So where can they find you? Thank you. Um, so my website is sheleadership.com.au. Um, otherwise, feel free to connect with me, either Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm across all of those platforms and I'm really happy to, to speak to people and to um, just have a conversation, really find out where you know, everyone's at and what they're up to and what they're looking for, you know. Awesome. And we will put um, all of the links to Instagram, LinkedIn and uh, any other Facebook, I'm presuming, and her website in the show notes so that you can connect with Jenny there. So thank you again for actually joining us on the Human Source Codex. I'm Kelly Ray and I will be speaking to you next time. All right. Thanks, Kelly. See you. Thank you.